I'm reading from Psalms 24. The title of my message is An Encounter with God. An Encounter with God. <clears throat> Amen. Whatever happens in this room, whatever happens throughout your week, no matter what it is that we have that is of great importance, nothing is more important than us meeting with God, than hearing his voice, seeing his face, experiencing his power and his glory. Psalms 24, beginning with verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. You may be seated. Lower these monitors a little bit. Who shall ascend into the hill of God? The hill of God defines for us a holy place, a sacred place, a place where we expect the divine person of Almighty God to be revealed to mankind. It's a place of reverence. It is a place of awe and wonder, a place of holiness. It is a place of perfect and unblemished worship. There's no put on, there's no phoniness, there's nothing there hypocritical. It is a place where the pure atmosphere of the presence of God meets the heart of man that is crying out for relationship with God. It was described to Moses as holy ground. He said, Moses, this place is holy ground. And so when we talk about ascending into the hill of God, we're not just talking about climbing any old mountain. We're not just talking about any approach to religion and to some form of worship. We're talking about an encounter with God. We're talking about a place and an experience where even Moses was told, take off your shoes, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. And others were warned, unless they were properly invited and prepared, draw not nigh hither. There is a place close to the heart of God, a place of quiet rest, a place of purity, a place of holiness. You know, sometimes uh, we're kind of brash and forward and we take things for granted. There's an old saying, it's not in the Bible, fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And people just presume and take it upon themselves and they try to orchestrate and manipulate and create worship and create an encounter with God. It doesn't work. It is a true saying, it may not be scripture, but it is foolish to try to rush in where even angels fear to tread. Even the angels stand in awe and reverently before God they bow and, and come the way that God commands them to. And so we need to learn that. We do well to remember that when Moses ascended up to Mount Sinai, and you need to keep in mind it was not one ascent. There's at least five or six times that Moses ascended up. On some of them he went by himself. On others, one of occasion he took Joshua with him. On another occasion, he took Aaron with him. 
And some of the most important moments, no one went with him. He met with God alone. A sacred encounter on the mountain. God called Moses up in Exodus. If you'll just turn over to the book of Exodus chapter 19. I'm going to refer to a number of verses there. Exodus chapter 19, beginning with verse 18. He called him up to the mountain. And there's a call going out. I believe it with all my heart. God is calling for people to come to the mountain. Garrett preached a sermon about, back in the old sanctuary, about climbing up the mountain. And he started climbing up over the pews and over the chairs and <laughs> didn't know where he was going. He was going to climb the walls. But we need to learn that there's a place higher than our normal, that we're normally acclimated to. That we have got to abandon those things that keep us and restrain us and restrict us and inhibit us. And we've got to go all out to seek the Lord. Now look with me in the book of Exodus chapter 19, beginning with verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended it upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount. And the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Now here the glory of God was manifest to Moses. He saw things, he felt things, he encountered uh, things that he had not heretofore known about God. You know, there are the levels of worship and levels of experience and relationship with God where we just keep wondering, Lord, what's next? How much more? I can't stand much more. Well, we need to learn that God has greater and greater things for us. It says, Sinai was on a smoke. This smoke represented uh, God's presence and power being manifest, and the fire was there. The whole mountain quaked greatly. A trumpet sounded very long, and it got louder and louder. And there was a fanfare. This, this was an important moment. And God was going to impart into Moses something very special. In verse 20, the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mountain. Now you have to get the background here because Moses has been commissioned earlier to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, which he did. He was told to bring them across the Red Sea, which he did. He was told to lead them out into the wilderness, which he did. And when they got to a certain point, you know, there was grumbling and complaining. There was all kinds of things going on. But, and God dealt with all of those events. And finally, God said, Moses, we've got to settle some issues. This people have got to know that I'm in charge and that you're my leader. You're my chosen leader. And we've got to settle some things. Come up into the mountain. Now, notice something very important. On this occasion, Miriam was not, and never that I know of, was she ever called to the top of the mountain. Miriam was not called up on the mountain. Only on one occasion do we find Aaron, the priest, and that's in chapter 19 and verse 24. In one of the six ascents up on the mountain, Aaron accompanied him. And on one of them in chapter 24 and verse 13, Joshua accompanied him up on the mountain. 
It was not Miriam. It was not Aaron. It was not Joshua. In this moment, God says, Moses, I'm calling you up to the top of the mountain. Sometimes the people were even forbid to get close enough to touch the mountain. If any beast or any man or person were to touch the mountain, they would die. They were to be pierced through with darts. They were to guard this mountain uh, in such a passionate way that no one would dare touch this mountain at a certain time when God came down in a smoke and fire and the trumpet was sounding and God called Moses up there and was communicating with him. They were not to uh, even get close to the mountain. Turn with me to chapter 19, verse 20. Exodus chapter 19. I'm sorry, verse 9. Beginning with verse 9 in the 19th chapter of Exodus. He said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you. I come in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with thee, and believe thee forever. They've got to have confidence that you have been on the mountain, you've communicated with God, and this is what I want the people to do. And Moses told the words of the people unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto the people and sanctify them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their clothes and be ready against the third day. For the third day the Lord will come down in the sight of all the people upon Mount Sinai. And thou shalt set bounds. Draw a line under that. Thou shalt set bounds unto the people round about, saying, Take heed to yourselves that you go not up into the mount, nor touch the border of it. Whosoever toucheth the mount shall surely be put to death. There shall not a hand touch it, but he shall surely be stoned and shot through, that was with a dart, whether it be the beast or man, it shall not live. When the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. Now, I believe God spoke to me about us having a divine encounter with God. And this is what I want for this church more than anything. I want when people come into this place that they have an encounter with God. That it not be artificial, that it not be superficial, that it not be uh, some hype, that it be genuine, that it be real, and the glory of God comes down and the fire of God is burning and the trumpet of God is sounding and God is communicating with his people. But now there are some bounds and there's some procedure and there is a method and there is a message that we have got to hear from God. The responsibility of hearing God's voice for the congregation rests upon Moses in this occasion and rest upon leaders that God appoints for congregations, for churches, for groups of people, for denominations, for movements. The responsibility rests heavily upon those that have been called and commissioned to lead people to worship. It is never everyone doing their own thing and everyone selecting a time and a moment for something to take place but it has to relate to God's instruction on the mountain. It has to be when the smoke appears and the fire is burning and the trumpet is sounding 
and a man has been called up before God to get God's communication for a group of people. And it was not Miriam. It was not Joshua. It was not Aaron. Aaron. It was not any of the other priests. It was God's leader. Occasionally, there's criticism directed at spiritual leaders, even in this church, when uh, we don't allow unlimited tongues and interpretations and prophecies and manifestations, or, you know, whether it be waving banners or clanging something or doing whatever that individuals feel that are good for them. And so sometimes they, people feel that the pastor is quenching the spirit, that he is grieving the spirit, but it can be more a grief to the Holy Spirit to have an individual who hasn't been up on the mountain, who hasn't heard from God, doing something that distracts an entire congregation that is now moving an entire congregation in a direction that the voice out of the smoke and out of the fire and with the sound of the trumpet has never orchestrated. And so there is a heavy responsibility placed upon spiritual leaders to go to the mountain and have an encounter with God. He said, thou shalt set bounds. People don't like bounds. They do not like bounds. They do not like limitations. They want uninhibited freedom to express whatever hits them at the moment and the time. And it may be good for them, but it might not be good for the whole body. And so sometimes we, we find it very difficult to always know the perfect mind of God, but we try to get a consensus among the leadership and with the body of believers who feel that we are all fasting and praying. It's not just one individual. And so in verse 9, God says, I come unto thee that the people may hear. I do believe it is the responsibility for a pastor, a shepherd, or an evangelist, or the leader of a movement, a denominational head, to hear from God and then to communicate that message from the Lord to the people. And if he's not capable of doing that, he sure is out of order. Verse 12 says, Thou shalt set bounds, and the people are not to touch that unless they would bring something upon their life. You can quench the spirit, you can grieve the spirit by being too forward, being too aggressive. And people say, well, I believe that um, even wildfire is better than no fire. You can't prove to me that wildfire is better than no fire. Wildfire destroys, it's destructive. And, and where there's no fire, there's still a potential that eventually it'll get ignited. <laughs> but if wildfire strikes, it'll get burned up and consumed. And so we need the genuine, real fire of God, not artificial fire. God is opposed to anything that he does not orchestrate. And he gives direction and he chooses and he leads and he guides. And everything, everything is within the bounds of the word of God. Never, 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 never do we have liberty to step outside the boundaries of the Word of God. It just cannot be. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 14 comes into play with tongues and interpretation and with prophecies. And if we are not willing to be governed by that, then we just might as well label ourselves as a rebellious group of people who don't want the Word of God to dictate to us. And we're going to live within the confines of the Word of God. We're going to have the glory. We're going to have revival. We're going to have the power of God but we're not going to get outside the boundaries of the Word of God. 
the quest for God's presence. Now I want to address the individual responsibility. God found Moses on the backside of the desert earlier, long before this Mount Sinai experience, but it was in the same general vicinity. He had chosen to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, as Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 25 tells us. He decided Pharaoh's uh, dictates were not enough. He wanted something better. And so he chose to be identified with his people. He said, the way I'll do this, I'll just go out and I'll fraternize with God's people and I'll see where they are. And so he began to go out among the Hebrew people. Remember, he was Pharaoh's right-hand man. And so now then, I mean, he was one of Pharaoh's respected men. He was not his right-hand man, but he was respected by Pharaoh. And so we find that he killed a man. He killed an Egyptian who was an attacking a Hebrew. And he thought, well, this will, this will stand me in good with the Hebrews. But the Hebrews said, well, I don't know. You probably kill one of us tomorrow. So they turned again. Word got back to the Pharaoh that Moses had now killed one of the Egyptians. And he said, I'll have him up on, on the, the gallows. I'll hang him or I'll, I'll kill him for what he has done. So Moses lit out into the desert. And now remember, this is a result of a choice he made to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Good choice. However, wrong methods. When he went out and took matters into his own hands, started killing the, killing the Egyptians, I mean, you just can't go out killing people. You just can't go out here and take matters into your own hand. God has a method. God has a way. God has a plan. It's better always to find God's plan. So he finds himself out in the desert as a result of the choice that he made, which was a good choice, but his plan didn't follow the choice that he made. Now then, he's, he marries Jethro's daughter, Zipporah, and he's leading Jethro's flocks on the backside of the desert. And he comes to the backside of Mount Sinai, and he sees a bush burning, and the bush is not consumed. Now, this is strange. This is unusual. And so he turned aside to see the bush on fire. Beloved, I want to tell you something. If you want an encounter with God, there's got to be a time and a place that you surrender your time schedule and your own interests and your responsibilities, and you've got to fast and you've got to pray and you've got to turn away from distractions and you've got to see, what is this? This bush is on fire and this bush is not consumed. I want a divine encounter with God. Beloved, you can't do without a touch of God on your life. You have got to have this touch. This church has got to have this touch. If we have to cancel our annual business meeting, if we have to cancel revival meetings, if we have to cancel anything on the agenda, doesn't matter whether we have television, whether we have radio, doesn't matter whether we have our normal schedule of services, we have got to have an encounter with God. And so God has laid it on my heart. Lead these people to the place where the bush is burning. We don't want to go where there's just dry dead wood. We want to see the fire. And Moses turned aside. And it's when people get willing to turn aside, when they get willing to stop the distractions and keep things from uh, preventing them uh, from going headlong into the presence of God, there and then only will we find the best that God has for us. Moses turned aside. What is it that's distracting you? What is it that bothers you? What is it that keeps you from praying, that keeps you from reading the Bible? It could be television. It could be just golf. It could be hunting or fishing. 
It could be shopping. It could be reading the newspaper or reading some book. Some people are just literally bookworms, and, but they, they don't read the book. <laughs> they read books, but they don't read the book. There are a lot of distractions. When the bush is on fire, it's time to stop. It's time to turn aside. Beloved, these are days of revival. God is speaking to this church, and there's a fire burning, and we have got to stop what we're doing long enough to join in and get involved in this fasting and prayer and see what God has to say for, to us out of this divine encounter, as it were, on the backside of the desert. Now, remember, we didn't choose to get where we are today. Uh, in, a, in a sense, we chose to suffer affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. We decided to join the church. We decided to sing in the choir. We decided to be a Christian. But then we found out that the world doesn't like that too much. And even our approach to Christianity, witnessing and handing out tracts and so forth, they'll want to drive you right out into the desert. But on the backside of the desert, when you're saying, I guess I'll go out and eat worms, <laughs> you know, when you have pity for yourself, then you need to say, God has a, an encounter for me. And right here in this room this morning, God wants to halt everything in your life and have an encounter with you and speak to your life about your relationship. There's an old song that we used to sing a long time ago, all alone with Christ my Lord. I can tell him all my troubles all alone. I couldn't think of the tune good enough to sing it this morning or I'd do that. <laughs> Aren't you glad I couldn't think of the tune? They wrestled with, you know, Jacob was a man that had an encounter with God in Genesis chapter 32. Turn over to chapter 32, and we won't read this very much. I'll read a little bit of it, and then I'll just comment on it. Genesis chapter 32. Jacob had an encounter with God. He had several, and every one of them was important. On one of them, he wrestled with God. He arm wrestled with God. Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 24. And Jacob was left alone. <laughs> they wrestled a man with him until the breaking of day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall no more be Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince, thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Notice he had power with God and prevailed. Verse 29, Jacob asked him and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. Thank God for the blessing. Now then, look at verse 30. Jacob called the name of that place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. I believe it was God that spoke to Moses out of that burning bush. It changed his life. It got him off the desert and took him back into Egypt to lead the children of Israel out of bondage. It got him back where he belonged to be in a place of service and ministry, not just tending his father-in-law's sheep out on the backside of the desert. Some of us are preoccupied with things that are good and they're meaningful, but it's not God's purpose for our life. I'll just let that sink in for whatever it's worth. But Jacob had an encounter with God. And the Bible says he was all alone. You've got to forsake distractions, forsake things that hinder you from seeking the Lord. 
He was left alone and they wrestled with him a man, it says in verse 24. Now this man was none other than God. For Jacob's own words in verse 30, he said, I have seen God face to face. And in verse 28, it says, Thou hast, as a prince, thou hast had power with God and with men and hast prevailed. So we believe with all of our heart that Jacob wrestled with God. And in fact, if you want to see something very interesting, turn over to the book of Hosea, chapter 12, and we'll read that in a moment. Meanwhile, I'll continue to wrestle with this passage, verse 24. There wrestled with him a man. It's a struggle. There's, a, there's the flesh and there's the spirit. The heart and the, of man, the spirit of man, lusteth against the flesh and the flesh lusteth against the spirit. But God says, hang in there, verse 25. He prevailed not, when, when the angel or God prevailed not, he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh and it was out of joint. Verse 26, Jacob said, I will not let thee go except thou bless me. Here's determination. I'm going to press in. I'm going to fast. I'm going to pray. I'm going to read my Bible. I am not going to be denied. The old song says, I would not be denied. Till Jesus came and made me whole, I would not be denied. We need some perseverance. There were times that people could pray, and we had a term that was a favorite term in those days. Praying through. Praying through. In these modern days, people don't know what you're talking about because the only thing they know is getting through praying, just getting through. But when you pray through, you prevail and you travel and you persevere and you don't give up. And you're like the song says, I would not be denied. And like Jacob, he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. I'm going to hang on here. Even when his thigh was put out of joint and he began to limp, he still hung on. He said, I've got to have the blessing. Friends, you can't do without the blessing. You've got to have the encounter. This church has got to have the encounter with God. All the departments, everything that we do and everything that we're about, I know it's important. And we try our best to do things that are good, but they're not a replacement for the presence of God and the power of God upon this church. He blessed him there, verse 29 says. Finally, he got it. He got a name change and he got a blessing. He blessed him there. Verse 30, Jacob said, I've seen God face to face and I'm still alive. I'm not dead. I've seen God. Of course, he did not see all the glory of God. He couldn't have lived. He would never have lived through an experience of seeing the entire glory of God. No man has seen God in all of his glory and lived through it. Now then, the book of Hosea, I promised you that we'd go there. Look at verse of chapter 12. The Lord hath a controversy with Judah and will punish Jacob according to his ways, according to his doings, will he recompense him. He took his brother by the heel in the womb and by his strength he had power with God. He had power with God. Now verse 4. He had power over the angel and prevailed. Now here's a very interesting side note. He wept and made supplication. This is not described for us in Genesis chapter 32. He wept and he made supplication. We only see a man wrestling, but here's a man afraid of his life, afraid for his life. Esau's on the way to meet him. He's put his people across the Ford Jabbok and all of the flocks and his, his children and grandchildren, they're all out there. And now then Esau's on the way with 400 men. 
here's a man that gets down on his knees and he says, God, I'm not quitting. I'm not getting up. I'm not, and finally God shows up. And so he gets up and he hangs on. He says, I'm not going to let you go. You're going to stay right here till you bless me. And he blessed him and he changed his name. And the Bible says that Jacob had, this is in Hosea chapter 12, he wept and he made supplication. How many tears have we shed? How much intense supplication and intercession has accompanied our, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. How much intensity is there? Where is the passion? Where is the love? Where is the devotion? Where is the commitment? Friends, our families are going to hell. Our neighbors are going to hell. Our nation is going to hell unless they meet Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. It's no time for us to play church. It's no time for us to play games. Jacob did not only wrestle with, with an angel or with God. He wept and he made supplication. I don't know anywhere else in the Bible except here in Hosea chapter 12 that it tells us that about his encounter with God there when he was wrestling with God. This past week, a young man, maybe 22, 23, 24 years old, came into the office. And he told me who he was. His grandmother had been a member of this church. We buried her a few months ago. And he said, I don't go to church. I've been strung out on drugs for years, many years. I've done bad things. And he began to enumerate some of the things that he's done. He said, two weeks ago, I had an experience where I felt like I was dying. And I felt so horrible that I took a whole bunch of pills and crammed them into my mouth and swallowed them. But he said, you know, something happened to me. I didn't die. 20 minutes later, I was completely at my senses and God gave me a chance. God gave me another chance. And he said, I came to church last Sunday, which was this previous Sunday. And I'm here today because he said, I've been... I have not had drugs in two weeks. But he said, I'm still struggling. I'm still having withdrawal effects. And I need help. I called John Bailey. Together we prayed with um, this young man. He gave his heart to the Lord. And we took the information, getting him involved in some discipleship and Christian activities. So friends, I think God met a sinner who was unprepared completely totally without a thought about God. And he stopped him in his tracks and said, you need an encounter with God. There may be someone in this room today that that's your life, that's your son, that's your brother, that's your husband, a relative. And I'm glad to tell you, friends, that God changed his life. I thought about the man as I was praying with this boy. The man who was in the tombs who cut himself and... Uh, he, he, the people would have nothing to do with him. They bound him with chains. He'd break the chains. He was filled with demons. His name was Legion, meaning a legion of demons was inside of him. But when he met Jesus, those demons went out, and the man was sane, the man was normal, and he lived a good life. I thought of Saul of Tarsus on the Damascus Road, feeling good, feeling great, feeling powerful, feeling strong. He didn't need the church. He didn't need God. He had authority to put Christians in jail, and he was on that pursuit.
And all of a sudden, a bright light shined around him. He dropped to the ground. I don't know if he was on a horse. I don't know if he was walking. The Bible doesn't say he was riding a horse. People talk about him being unhorsed. The Bible doesn't say he was on a horse. Anyway, he found himself on the ground, and he's blinded for three days. If you couldn't see for three days, God would get your attention. If you lost your sense of hearing for a few days, God would get your attention. What does it take for God to speak to us, to have an encounter? The bright light shone around him, and he heard a voice. Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who art thou, Lord? He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Jesus came to a reprobate man who was the chief of sinners. He came to a man strung out on drugs and got his attention and turned his life around. And it doesn't matter what your circumstances are this morning. God loves you and God is concerned about you and God's concerned about this church and God's concerned about your Christian experience. And he wants each and every one of us to have an encounter with God. Whether you be a sinner or whether you be a Christian, you just need another touch from God. God wants to do something powerful in your life. I go back to my text. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart. I don't think anybody can brag or boast and go swaggering into God's presence and say, here I am, Lord, you're sure fortunate I'm here. If I wasn't here, if I wasn't here today, this would be a dead service. And so give me my chance and I'll pretty soon, I'll just demonstrate how important I am. You know, God can do without any of us. He can get along without any of us, but he doesn't want to. He wants every one of us to get that divine encounter, to go up to that mountain, to have... God has a place in the body of Christ for gifts and ministers and, and people to be a part of the temple of God. And every member of the body has a function and we need to function remembering that there's, there's something being filtered down through the leaders, through the spiritual head. The federal headship of the church is... Uh, uh, Pastor Pensacola calls it, John Kilpatrick. But I believe that every person needs that divine encounter so that you can be used by God. Will you stand, please?